We're dealing with questions and trying to give some answers to the questions that people have when it comes to Christianity. Today, maybe you felt this one. If Jesus can heal, why doesn't he heal me all the time? Well, first off, I, I would say um, it's easy for us to think that Jesus hasn't healed us. Uh, if we only think of Jesus healing as like your, your body is infested with cancer one week and the next week the scan comes back clean, okay, I suppose most of us haven't been healed that way, though he does that from time to time. Uh, but Jesus' healing goes beyond that, doesn't it? There are many of you watching today who do feel pretty good, right? Um, uh, many who are watching have, have never experienced cancer. Praise God for that. Uh, many of you can sleep well at night. And that's one I think we take for granted until you talk to someone who can't sleep well at night. They'll explain to you what a blessing it is. Uh, many of us have had bones that are broken that have, what do we say, healed, right? Many of you had a, a, a cold or a flu earlier in the year, uh, and, and yet, uh, you're here today uh, because of the amazing way God makes our bodies with immune systems. Think if, if a virus, if, without the immune system, a virus could sweep through your body like that and take you out. Yes, Jesus heals us in so many ways. It's kind of like what we used to say to our little girls when they would get an owie and they'd come up and, and want help and, and I'd say, pray to Jesus to make it better. And they would look up real hopeful and say, will he make it better? And the answer is yes, so often. So often Jesus does heal us. But maybe you're watching today and you're struggling with sickness. Maybe you're mourning the loss of someone. Maybe they, they, they were taken out by COVID-19. Maybe, maybe you have a lingering illness. I want you to know today that Jesus does care about you physically. Sometimes uh, Jesus allows, uh, God allows pain into our lives uh, to, to break us down to our, our, our rawest need, right? Uh, pain has a way of, of turning us around back towards God. Uh, pain, pain has a way of, of reminding us we're not home yet. Uh, pain uh, keeps us from being satisfied with this life. It keeps us looking for the only thing that does satisfy Jesus. Uh, think of how blessed we are. Not every life in this world has a moment of knowing God. Not every path ends in him. Yours does. <laughs> The pain causes us to cry out to the one who, who did live this same life through blurring human tears, who cried out to his own father, why? Who proved to you beyond a shadow of doubt that he does care for you. Pain causes us to seek out Jesus. I want to share with you a, a touching story from the Bible, from the ministry of Jesus. Jesus um, had just cast out a demon from a demon-possessed man at the synagogue on the Sabbath. And now... Uh, they all went back, or uh, the disciples and Jesus went back to Peter's mother-in-law's house. And, and this is what the account says. It says, That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Can you imagine Peter going to the door and saying, Hey, Jesus, you have visitors. Who is it? The whole town. <laughs> you have to understand what was happening here. You see, it was the Sabbath day, and a Sabbath's walk meant that you could walk on the Sabbath day from your home to the synagogue and back. That's it. No deviation. Uh, the, the Sabbath was that special day that God set apart for his people to have spiritual and physical rest. And, and so the religious leaders wanted to make sure that everybody kept that Sabbath. And it was a big deal, even mandating how many steps you could take on that day. So then everybody who went to synagogue, they saw Jesus cast out a demon, but then they had to walk back home. And as they walked back home, every one of them was thinking, could he, would he heal my dad, heal my mom? 
Or, or, or maybe the people were at home, too sick to go to the synagogue, and their relatives came back from synagogue, and they all thought, could he, would he help us? And so they thought, yeah, let's go, but no, we can't. It's the Sabbath. We need to wait until the sun sets. We need to wait until that new day begins. But every one of them went home from the synagogue that, that, that day, and they were all thinking the same thing. When the sun sets, when evening comes, then. And it's a touching scene. The whole town, it says. The whole town is standing in their entryways, looking out their doors, watching the sun get lower in the sky as dust sets in, all so that they could go to Jesus for help. Pain does that. The same is true with you, right? You come to Sunday morning loaded down with a week's worth of anxiety and worry and, and, and pain and, and guilt. You look forward to going to see Jesus for help. Every person in this account had all these specific problems for Jesus to help, and the whole town was involved, apparently, in some way. Either they were sick or they were bringing their sick. And just picture it. These streets, there were maybe 2,000 people at most, but these narrow, winding streets flooded with people when the sun goes down, all going to the place that they saw Jesus go after he came back from synagogue. Why? So that he could help them. And make no mistake, that's exactly what Jesus did. He helped them. He didn't get his Saturday afternoon after preaching nap. He had a long day, and yet he helped them. Why? Because he cared about their physical needs. And friends, I need you to know that Jesus cares about your physical needs too. And he does spare our lives 99.9% .9 of the time. Even if you have a lingering illness, he hasn't forgotten about you. Because we all know there's going to be that 0.1% of the time when Jesus doesn't heal us. Not because he doesn't care. Not because, um, because he, he's not able to. Not because he doesn't love you but because he wants something for you so much greater than this life. He wanted it so badly, he suffered death on a cross to pay for your sins and then rose from the dead to assure you of the place where no one will ever need to be healed again. Whether you're a Christian already or you're just, you're kind of wrestling with some things, maybe you've wrestled with the question or the statement that we have uh, before us today, the objection, grace is too easy. That, that can't be the way it works. Now, by grace, we're not talking about what you say before meals. No, we're, we're talking about um, that special word in the Bible, God's undeserved love. This is God's something for nothing when we don't deserve anything. And in my experience, when I've heard people say grace is too easy, it usually comes from two different perspectives, two different poles. Um, the, the one says in despair, I know what I've done against God and there is no way God can just forgive me. And the other one says in pride, listen, there's no such thing as a free lunch. I work hard for everything I get. Either way, it's really two sides of the same coin, right? Uh, grace is too easy. There must be something that we need to do to get right with God. Well, in order to answer this question, uh, we need to have an understanding about who we are and how we compare to God. So think about it this way. God is perfect. God is holy. He demands us to be the same. The only problem is there are no degrees of holiness. There are no degrees of perfection. Either you are or you aren't. God said to Moses, when Moses asked to see his face, he said, you can't see my face, for no one may see me and live. Why is that? Well, it's because sinful man cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. God's not impressed with us when we just try hard. He's not impressed when we're better than other people. He's not impressed by our steady improvement. No, he demands perfection. 
Think of it this way. Imagine that you had a perfectly calm pond and, and you had to swim across that pond without making a ripple in the water. You think that that'd be impossible, but that's, that's perfection, right? I'm always so impressed with Olympic divers when they, they dive into the water and they make barely any, any splash, but even the best of them make a splash, right? Even the best of us sin each day. In fact, the Bible tells us even my righteous acts are like filthy rags. Even my best attempts aren't good enough. Uh, our own efforts just simply won't cut it. No, salvation and, 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 and forgiveness, they need to be gifts from God. They can't be something that I manufacture on my own. But that does not mean that grace was somehow easy, not for God anyway. When Adam and Eve fell into sin in the garden and they ate from that fruit in the, in, in the tree or of the tree, God, his heart was broken and he could have simply walked away. But instead, he promised to send a savior. And he actually shaped all of human history so that 2,000 years ago, in a tiny town called Bethlehem, he himself came to us in the skin of a baby. And Jesus lived that perfect life that we needed. And the Bible, in Hebrews 5, it describes what that life was like. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Loud cries and tears. There was nothing easy about this grace. And Jesus mourned over Jerusalem just days before his death on the cross. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You see, it wasn't just Jesus' heart that was torn. But a few days after saying those words, it would be his brow and his back and his hands and his feet as he hung on that cross and suffered the payment for our sins to pay for every one of our imperfections, every one of our sins. And he now looks at you and he gives you his perfection. He gives it all to you. He doesn't do it because you deserve it, because nobody, nobody deserves it. Instead, God doesn't love you because you're perfect. Rather, you're perfect in his eyes because he has loved you. That's grace, right? That's God's something for nothing when we don't deserve anything. Now, some will object. That's too easy. <laughs> that, that, it, like, if you say that grace is the way it, it, it works, then people are going to do whatever they want. And my answer would be, yes, that's true. But now, what do you want to do? What do you want to do for the one who gave his life for you? Well, what would you do for the person who saved you from a burning building or who, who, who saved you from drowning? The last thing you would do is run back into the burning building or run back into the water. No, you would do the only thing you could. Thank the one who saved you. This week, we've been dealing with some of the objections that people have to Christianity. Maybe you've felt the objection for today. Uh, why is there so much evil in the world? I mean, you look out at, at the awful things that happen in our country and around the world, the way people use and manipulate one another, uh, just the, the, the evil things that human beings are capable of doing, and you think, God, if you're good, then why is there so much evil? Well, first, I think we need to recognize that um, for us to recognize that there are evil things proves actually that God is good. In order for, to, for there to be a, a, a right, 
there needs to be a wrong. In order for, for there to be an evil, there needs to be a good. Otherwise, we wouldn't recognize evil as evil. Uh, one person used this illustration. Uh, th- they said, imagine a world where there's no such thing as light. Suddenly, there's no such thing as light. Would we walk around and say, hmm, why is it so dark around here? No. For us to ask that question means that there is such a thing as light. Uh, please understand that we cannot lay the blame for evil at God's feet. Um, evil is what we brought into the world as human beings when Adam and Eve fell into sin in the garden. Now, God could have walked away, but he didn't. Instead, he promised to send a Savior to set things right. And so Jesus came into this world. He came not to condemn sin, but to to destroy sin by dying on a cross. He came not to put evildoers in the grave, but to put evil itself in the grave, which is exactly what he did by, by suffering and bleeding and dying on a cross outside of Jerusalem. And now because of his death and resurrection, your sins and mine, they're forgiven, forgotten forever. Now because of what he has done, our good Savior, now beautiful heaven awaits, a place where there will never be any evil ever again. In fact, when we recognize that we live in a world where every single person we meet is sinful, then maybe the better question would be to ask the one that St. Augustine, the church father, asked, why is there so much good in the world? Finally, God is, God is still illuminating all things with his word. He, he's still, he's still um, guiding all things with his hand. The Bible says, we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Yes, even in the evil things or the things we call evil. Yes, even through the pain. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said that the, the pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I think of a, a time with a, a friend a while back. Um, he didn't believe in Jesus and, and he was having a hard time. He was pouring out his heart, his frustrations with tears about all the bad things that were happening in his life. And no matter what I said, because he didn't believe in God, it just left him in despair. Friends, understand that's what the devil wants to do with the evil in this world. He wants to use it to lead you to despair, but God wants you to go the exact opposite way. God wants to use the evil in life to lead you back to himself. Because then when there's evil and and pain that touches our lives, then we realize that we need a savior. And we need a good savior who promises uh, not only that he loved us 2,000 years ago on a cross, but that he loves us still. As the Bible says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's Jesus' invitation. Because when we come to Jesus, then we see the one who is good and who does love us and has come to save us. YOLO. Have you ever heard that before? You only live once? In other words, do whatever you want with your life uh, because you you don't know how long it's going to last. Unfortunately, a relationship with God doesn't often make the short list. Uh, There's a sentiment that's shared by um, young and old alike and it goes something like this. I've got time for God or to get to God later. I've got time to get to religion later. But the fact that that sentiment is shared by 20-somethings as well as 80-somethings ought to betray the, line, uh, the lie behind it. Uh, whether you, you, you want to just enjoy life or, or, or you want to you wanna repent later or you're too busy for God, there are a lot of people who think that putting off a relationship with God is okay. We need to understand that time is a wonderful gift that God gives us. We also need to understand how he wants us to use it. He wants us to use it to come to know him. 
the truth is no one, no matter how healthy or wealthy, is guaranteed a single day on this earth. Uh, now, this may be a morbid thought, but I may not wake up tomorrow. You may not either. Jesus told a, a parable that's a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning uh, about a man who was uh, rich. And he said to himself, you know what? I've got lots of grain stored up for many years. I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, he said, I'm going to do me. Well, God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is going to be demanded from you. We don't have a guarantee of how long we have on this earth. Um, as one uh, seminary professor said at the seminary that I attended many years before I attended there, he used to say, uh, the only problem with 11th hour conversions is that most people die at 1030. In other words, don't put off this relationship with God because you never know how much time you have. The other thing we need to understand is what is really important. Is it eternally important or does it eternally matter if you become the best at your line of work? Is it eternally important for you to be the richest person on your block? Is it eternally important to make sure that you binge watch every major sitcom that's ever come out? Is it eternally important if you just have fun in life? And the answer is obviously, obviously no. We have this thing called the tyranny of the urgent, right? There's so many things in our lives that are clamoring for our attention. They're all screaming out, pay attention to me now. But the only problem is those aren't always the most important things. All the while, the most important things like our health and our family, and most importantly, our Savior Jesus, stand on the sideline void of adequate attention. Jesus asked a question once, and I want you to ask it of yourself too. Uh, what good is it for a person if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? And the answer is it is no good, right? Even if you could gain the whole world, which we settle for much less than that so often, uh, it'd still be a fool's bargain if it cost us our soul. Uh, Jesus once gave an illustration of the urgency that we'll want to pursue a relationship with him. He told this, this story about a man who found a treasure in the field and, and the treasure was so important that the man went out and sold everything he had and then came back and bought that field. That's how important the treasure was. Well, Jesus is that treasure. And understand finally that that's, that's what Jesus did to get us. He sold everything he had. He traded the eternal praise of angels in heaven to be born in a barn and be laid in a feeding trough with the smell of cattle all around. He traded that divine right of the praise of all for the curses that he heard on the cross. He even gave his life up on that cross. Why? Well, so that he could have you, his treasure. And this is finally why we will spend our time in this life to spend daily spend time with Jesus. It's as the Apostle Paul said, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Have you ever looked at a Christian and a non-Christian and thought, huh, I don't see much of a difference. Aren't Christians supposed to be happier? Uh, well, are they? Despite what the unfortunate popular children's song entitled, I'm Happy All the Time says, where I think the lyrics are, I'm in right, out right, upright, downright, happy all the time. Uh, the truth is the Christians are not happy all the time. Uh, there are a few reasons for that. Number one, um, the, the Christian isn't happy all the time because we still have a sinful nature uh, that, that constantly gets us to sin. There's nothing happy about that. 
right? Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. First of all, the cross is an instrument of torture, not happy. Not to mention, denying yourself is one of the hardest things in the world to do. And then add to that the fact that Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble. And I hope I've dispelled the notion, the, the misnomer, that, that Christians are happy all the time. But here's the thing, Christians may not be happy all the time, but they can be joyful all the time. You see, there's a difference in scripture between happiness and joy. Happiness goes up and down like a roller coaster and is based on outward circumstances. Joy remains steady despite those outward circumstances. Uh, during the, the pandemic shutdown, oh, well, here's the reason, it's because we know the outcome. Now, during the pandemic shutdown, I, um, I decided to expose my older children to some of what I would call the classic movies, must-see movies from when I was younger, uh, which also meant that I exposed them to 80s PG, which is not the same as PG today. But anyway, one of their favorites was Back to the Future 2. You maybe know it well. Um, that's where the old Biff goes back with the sports almanac that has 50 years of the sports scores and goes back in time to the young Biff and gives him that book before any of those games ever took place um, so that he would know the outcomes. And don't tell me that you didn't think that would be kind of cool to go back in time and know the future and have it benefit you like it did for, for Biff. The point is, even if he was watching a game and the team he picked was down, um, he didn't have to worry because he already knew the outcome. The same is true for you. You know the outcome. Uh, you have the almanac. No, not the sports, future sports almanac, but you, you have the almanac that tells you um, what this life is all about and, and what's going to happen to this world and where you're going to be going and what your purpose in life is. Uh, you know the outcome. E even when those bad things happen in your life, like like uh, you get sick or a loved one passes away or you have to declare bankruptcy or you lose a job. I mean, who would be happy about those things? And yet even in the midst of those, you can have joy because you know the outcome. God promised it. Just think of the disciples on, on the Saturday of Holy Week. So that's the, that's the day in between Jesus dying on the cross on Good Friday and Jesus rising from the dead on Easter Sunday. When they were there on that Saturday and their Savior was in the grave, were they happy? Of course not. Their friend, their teacher was dead. And yet at the same time, could they have joy because they knew the outcome? Well, yeah. Even if they forfeited some of that comfort because they doubted, they could still have joy even in the midst of that sad, uh, sad scene because they, they knew how it would turn out. Now, does that knowledge affect me and my life and how I feel? Well, yeah, it gives me a peace that no one can take away. I mean, when I... When I feel like no one loves me, I hear, I hear my God say, I have loved you with an everlasting love. When I feel all alone, Jesus says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. When I feel like I don't belong, I hear Jesus tell me, in my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come back to take you to be with me where I am. When I can't make sense of life's circumstances, I hear God say in all things, God works for the good of those who love him when I just don't feel happy, I still hear scripture encourage, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. When I am burdened by my sins, I hear Jesus say, it is finished on that cross. And I hear him look at me and say, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. You know, does that, does that affect how I feel? Absolutely, it gives me a peace that no one can take away. I can let that thought 
flow through my mind when the Apostle Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, does that mean that the Christian is happy, happy all the time? Uh, no, but it does mean that we can rejoice, rejoice, and I'll say it again, rejoice, when we realize that we know the outcome is heaven because of Jesus. Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Uh, thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoy this podcast but want to go even deeper in your faith, I want to invite you to check out all the great content that we put out here at Time of Grace. Um, the easiest way for you to do that, and the way that I personally do that, is by signing up for the Time of Grace email. I might be biased, <laughs> but I think the Time of Grace team does a great job putting all into one email, a written devotion, a video devotion, a blog post, podcasting options, it's a way that I love to start my day. And if you want to go deeper with Jesus, it's a great way to start yours too. Just look for the link in the episode notes to sign up. And thanks for your support.